If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I'm excited for you to meet Aya Ram and Toya Ajayi, co-founders of CityBlock Health, the first tech-driven provider for communities with complex needs. By scaling primary care, behavioral health, and social services with a custom-built technology, CityBlock is bringing better care to neighborhoods that have historically had poor access to quality and affordable health care. CityBlock is a unicorn that has now raised about $500 million in funding and currently serves over 70,000 members across New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Washington, D.C., Aya is CityBlock CEO and known nationally as an expert policymaker and practitioner in the field of transforming healthcare delivery and financing. Before CityBlock, Aya was the Chief Transformation Officer at Commonwealth Care Alliance, and he played a significant role in Massachusetts healthcare reform effort. Toyin is CityBlock's Chief Health Officer and is board certified in family medicine. Dr. Ajayi served as Chief Medical Officer of Commonwealth Care Alliance, where she led clinical operations. She continues to practice primary care focused on patients with chronic, complex, and end-of-life needs. Now let's welcome Aya and Toyin. Guys, thank you so much. I love that I get both of you on my podcast today. I wanted to just start with the basics. What is City Block Health? And let's talk about the origin story and why you guys decided to devote your many now, probably decade plus years of your life to this vision. So, so City Block Health is a, um, is a tech-enabled um, growth stage company that um, really is founded on the mission and the belief that we have to be able to deliver a quality of care and experience of care that's respectful, that's dignified, and that's high value to the most marginalized populations amongst us. So we provide primary care, behavioral health, and social care to individuals who receive Medicaid or people who are duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid folks whose physical health and behavioral health and social needs represent some of the most complex and most challenging that our healthcare system has in the past failed to meet. And we deliver an experience of care that's respectful, that's dignified, and that's oriented towards improving total outcomes for the population whom we serve by addressing preventable causes of ill health, by thinking about people holistically, not just as organ systems or disease states, but focusing on their mental health as well as their physical health and their community health. And by intervening in creative and high touch ways to, to keep people home in the community and out of the hospital. We were founded in 2017. We'll tell you a little bit more about the founding story and have grown to serve about 75,000 members across five markets that who receive our, our experience of care. Which is so amazing. I want to actually go back. So you both met in Boston working for the Commonwealth Care Alliance. Tell us a little bit about that founding story and how you guys decided to embark upon this story together. Sure. So Twain and I met when I worked for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, not to be confused with Commonwealth Care Alliance. I worked for the state. I was a regulator. And this lady came into my office one day 
wanting to have waivers from some of our regulations that limited how emergency medical technicians, EMTs, and paramedics could treat people. And I went into this meeting fully prepared to do what I was supposed to do, which is say, no, no, these regs are in place to keep people safe and what have you. And I walked out saying, whatever that lady wants, I got to figure out how to build it. Because she had this at the time, fairly radical idea, which is why do EMTs and paramedics who are well-qualified clinical care providers have to take people to the hospital every time they see them? And one of the many you know, ill-kept secrets of healthcare is that EMS, emergency medical services, is paid to transport people. And so you go to see somebody in their house and you take them to the hospital and you get paid. And you go to somebody's house, you take them to the hospital, you get paid. And Toyin, who is running this incredible organization, Commonwealth Care Alliance, said, well, but wait a minute, we're the health insurer. We pay them. Our members don't want to go to the hospital. Why can't we put a physician on a video visit or a telephone call to support this paramedic or BMT in keeping somebody home and safe? And of course, now many years later, this is a staple of our care model together, but we met doing this work. And at some point, I got fully convinced that this organization that Twain represented was where it was at in terms of thinking about really radical community-based care. And I'll kick it back to Twain in a second to talk a little bit more about CCA. But we then spent a chunk of time really running this incredible community care organization, as is, I think, befitting our journey. And we've often said either of us would work with or for the other anywhere. Toyan hired me. I came and joined her team at CCA and happily worked almost chief of staff type operator, helping to stitch together her organization, which was all of the care delivery functions. But as we looked across the, the 25 or so thousand members at the time that we served, and we looked at the millions of folks across the country, we ended up kind of devolving, I would say, unfortunately, but to a place where every Friday afternoon at the end of the day, we would start these conversations about what would it look like to do this at scale. And it's sort of a Boston Mafia building companies in healthcare right now. Rashika Fernandapool at Iora, Sachin Jane had just gone to Caremore. Griffin Myers did residency with my wife before he went to Oak Street. And she has funny stories about him, you know, showing up in the emergency department to, to work on his Oak Street pitch decks. And, you know, the Chen Med guys all had Boston roots as well. And so we, we knew all of these people and everybody was focusing on Medicare Advantage. Nobody was thinking about these really high-risk, complex folks that, that we had fallen in love with providing care to, which for both of us goes back to sort of early childhood roots of social justice-related work. And so, in all honesty, I don't tell this story all that often outside of City Block, but on the Wednesday after the presidential election in 2016, which was the day when many of us were looking around saying, what are we going to do for the next four years? You know, our politics are probably not that hard to guess looking at what we do for a living every day and how we talk about that work. But even if you vote differently than, than we might, it was very clear that Medicaid was going to be a hot button issue for the next four years. Alphabet called from Sidewalk Labs and said, you want to come think about building a company? T, I wonder if you want to, you tell the story of CCA, what it does so well and how we thought about bringing that to scale. I think sure, that's sure. such an important part of the story too. You know, for me, the work at CCA is so important to our origin story because it was a really important evolution in my own personal journey as a physician, trying to just like do the right thing by the patients that I served. So I'm a family doc. I trained in primary care. I am committed to improving outcomes and building real relationships that move the needle for people who the healthcare system leaves behind. And I just started to experience the real guts of why our system has such poor outcomes, why we 
spend more than any other, you know, advanced westernized nation on healthcare per capita and get far worse results. And it was all tied to the way that we pay for healthcare and the way that we think about incentivizing the right type of care and the right type of interventions. It was all broken. And I could see myself as a primary care doc who really, really loves taking care of people who need more from the healthcare system, need more than a 10-minute doctor's office visit twice a year, need more than an emergency room visit when they run out of their um, asthma medications. Like they need somebody to actually understand what's going on for them. And I just saw that if I continue to do the work I was doing in a safety net hospital, albeit with the right intentions, um, I was going to fail myself and my personal mission, as well as the patients I was serving. And so, you know, being at Commonwealth Care Alliance, which is a payer organization, it's a health insurer, focuses on people who are duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid, where they really think about the role of health insurance as basically an opportunity to invest the total dollar, the the premium that they have from Medicare and from the federal government in paying for healthcare that's actually going to move the needle. And so for the first time as a young doctor, I had this opportunity to say, wait a second, if it makes sense for keeping my patients safe in the community and in their homes, we can make an investment. We can pay more for primary care. We can pay more for community-based services. We can fund engagement and relationships. We can do home visits and home care, not because the, you know, the billing code makes sense and it pays as much as that neurosurgical procedure, but because it's the right thing to do for the patient. And at the end of the day, we can actually save money. And so having spent, you know, four years at Commonwealth Carolina some of that time with Aya, getting to really get into the guts of the of the data, seeing that actually this theory was playing out, that it is possible to do right by patients. It's possible to really, really invest in community-based care and drive outcomes that result in lower spend in the healthcare system. Felt like it was onto something and it was so like intoxicating to be able to do for people and create a business case. And so that was the thing that was really motivating to us when we sort of decided respectively to convince our partners to move to New York and support us on this crazy new venture. At its core, if I'm a city block patient, what does my healthcare look like? What does that look like? How did you flip the model on its head? And how did you think about just really focusing on my well-being? Fundamentally, the way that our system works, if you're a city block member, we meet you where you're at. And that has a, a couple of different components to it. The first is in how we think about who we hire and how we bring teams together. So we've built a workforce of what we call community health partners. This is a lay workforce hired from the communities within which we work, hired for empathy, for trust building skills, for relatability, for understanding of the community. And we actually impaneled those folks. Those folks are at the center of our care team. And so our members build longitudinal relationships with our community health partners who then are surrounded by an integrated care experience of primary care providers, NPs and physicians, uh, behavioral health clinicians, social workers, uh, substance abuse counselors, nutritionists, pharmacists, the other sort of ancillary care team members that you might want to be able to draw upon, as well as an array of both in-home and virtually deployed urgent escalation services. So if you're one of our members and you get sick, we'll send a, a paramedic to your house within an hour or so and provide care to you along with your existing care team to be able to ensure that you stay home and safe. All of that starts and ends with asking what you want, asking you how you want to engage with us and helping you to understand that we are here no matter what it is. We wanna be our members first call when they're getting an eviction notice, when they get fired from their job, when they're worried about being safe at home because their partner is unkind to them physically or emotionally, but also when they have chest pain and when they have sequela of hypertension and when they're feeling dizzy and when they're feeling stressed. 
all of those things are part of their experience of living in the complex ecosystem that is this world that we've built in, in American society that is erecting a sort of rebar enforced concrete barriers to accessing effective both social and medical care experiences. And so we want to be their guide, their Sherpa, their shepherd, and their partner in walking through that. You're serving some of the most underprivileged, underserved part of populations in major cities, which is pretty profound. And you had to redesign everything from the get-go. And I think one of the things that I at least really attached to when learning more was you also support patients with housing and transportation because that is critical. Talk just a little bit about how you thought about reinventing those services. Can you give us a little bit more of, of, of how you really remodeled the system? Yeah, I mean, I think so much of what we do is is actually about execution just as much as it is about ideation. So we, we often like, and this is not rocket science, like we all know that our day-to-day well-being um, is deeply, deeply tied, not only to how our kidneys and our heart are functioning, but also to like what we had for breakfast, who we spent time with, how our mental health is faring, what's going on in our social domains. And so that that is like, we know that. We also know from talking to our members that there's some just like fundamental logistic challenges that are predominant in communities that have been marginalized and underserved. We know that access to transportation to get to places that the healthcare system requires you to get to in order to access it is a challenge. We know that when you don't have a lot of money to spend and you have to make a decision between food and the copay for your medication, that you may choose food. And that would make sense. We know that when you are struggling with the cognitive burden of poverty, so trying to make ends meet with only a few dollars in your pocket, and you don't know where you're going to sleep at night, the last thing you're thinking about is whether your high blood sugar today is going to result in a heart attack five years from now. That that all makes sense to us. And so if, if we're truly as a healthcare system, supposedly actually like focusing on getting people healthier, then we can't just know those things and look away. We actually have to address them. And what we realize is, is that it is in many instances, immensely powerful, disproportionately powerful to a person's well-being when we address their social needs and their social capabilities, more so than prescribing more insulin to the person who has diabetes and whose blood sugars are poorly controlled, but doesn't have a refrigerator to put in. It doesn't matter if you prescribe more medications, really what they need is food and a safe place to sleep. And so the way that we've organized our, our, our company and our model has been around first ask the question, understand what's going on, and then do your darndest to solve the problem. And that often requires creative solutioning. It requires partnering with community-based organizations, and it requires operations and logistical management so that we can actually close the loop and do the thing we said we we're going to do. Because remember, we've got to do this on the chassis of a trustworthy and a trusted system. For us, it's, it's partnerships. And it's also where necessary and where high value, leaning in ourselves and delivering social services. We provide food to people. We provide respite housing for folks who are in, in housing crisis. And we also partner with organizations within our communities that provide long-term solutions to social needs. And we find that the impact on outcomes is tremendous. Amazing. You have shared what I thought was pretty fascinating, the jarring stat that zip codes are better predictors of health outcomes than biology. Why did you guys decide to start in Brooklyn and how have you thought about expanding into new zip codes? And just tell us a little bit of more what you mean by that stat. Zip codes are more predictive of, of one's health outcomes as, as being a massive predictor of one's health outcomes is well known. And it's also really interesting 
proxy. It's a proxy for your access to education, for your access to social goods and services. It's a proxy for income. It's certainly a proxy for your exposure to racism. And all of that tells us, again, that your lived experience, the places where people live, where they work, where they sleep, is just as important to their well-being as the clinical interventions that one could provide. And so for us, what that means is that we've started in, um, in communities that have been historically underserved by healthcare. We start in communities where there are significant um, uh, proportions of individuals who have unmet physical health and behavioral health needs. And we've started in communities where the traditional healthcare system has failed to make a case for doing exactly the work that we've been trying to do. Troy, I would love to just dive into some of the results. You guys have achieved some truly amazing results around reducing ER visits and inpatient hospital stays. How do you guys think about measuring that impact and kind of what is your North Star? How have you guys thought about what's important to measure? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Thank you. So our North Star is exactly what I described. It's it's finding that incredibly satisfying spot where we can deliver care to people with an experience that they value in a way that makes them feel good and seen and respected, where we can address gaps and opportunities and where we can, by doing so, keep them out of the hospital and reduce hospitalizations, which as we know, are the major driver of spend in the healthcare system. It's that $10,000 hospitalization that didn't need to happen if the person had had food and a home visit from a primary care doctor to make sure that they could take their medications. When you look at the highest risk individuals, you look at the people with the most complex needs, they very frequently are the people that don't have meaningful relationships in primary care, haven't been engaged meaningfully by the health system. And so finding folks, and we we are really proud, we're at, at one year of managing or caring for a population. We typically have engaged about 70% of that population. And we're touching them with a frequency of services across a multidisciplinary team that is orders of magnitude greater than what they would have had before. The next sort of key lever in our in our value chain is like, can we deliver an experience of care that is compelling and valuable and valued to the people we serve. And there we use the net promoter score as a, as a proxy measure of that. And we've consistently seen net promoter scores in the high 80s and, early, and low 90s, um, which again is unheard of in healthcare, <laughs> truly. Um, and it's across all of our um, segments of the population, across a really, really hard to reach population of folks who have lots of reasons to be mistrustful of the healthcare system. And then we start to look for, are we closing gaps? Are we deploying our care teams with such, and our social care teams with such um, precision and value that we're driving down hospitalizations. And there we see 20% decrease in, in, in patient hospitalizations, 15% decrease in emergency room visits. And so you're seeing this model play out. You find folks, build a trusted relationship with them, help them feel seen and heard, understand what's going on for them, deliver services in the, in the community that reduce hospitalizations and that ties to reductions in total spend in the healthcare system. It gives us more resources to reinvest in caring for others, allows us to grow as a business. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. 
Guys, you've been in business not that long, yet you've raised about $500 million since you first started with Tiger leading your most recent almost $200 million Series C extension in March, which is really powerful and obviously a, a huge credit to the fact that people really believe in what you're building. Healthcare delivery has transformed dramatically. And you guys are sitting at the epicenter with everything around COVID happening at, around us. If you fast forward a decade, what are your predictions? What are the things, given both of your purchase, that you have such unique vantage points? What do you think is going to happen over the next 10 years in healthcare that maybe you can see today that the rest of us can't? I will answer what I hope will happen, Alexa, because I don't know that I'm bold enough to know how crazy this complicated world that we live in is. I hope that there's a revolution. I hope that people get deeply, deeply angry. The fact that we are all passive and that we are all apathetic about how broken healthcare is around us actually think is one of the most important barriers facing our communities, facing companies like ours, but frankly, facing our society more broadly. We as a country spend, if you add in all of the social services, a third of the of the dollars in this country on this sector, we do not create value. And we over and over and over again produce analyses and reports and studies, and we demonstrate the same damn thing over and over and over again, which is that this thing doesn't create value at a systems level, contrasted with any other modern and any other developed and some other developing countries' healthcare systems. And we also have modern medicine and we also have wonderful institutions that if you get very, very sick are important to have there. But we need to burn it all down because the way that we deliver services in this country is fundamentally broken. And so I think over the next 10 years, we're gonna go through a period probably of a lot of anger. I hope we go through a period of a lot of anger. I hope that coming out of COVID times, we realize that while our healthcare system was there for some of us, it, it failed many, many more. And it failed us on a disparate basis. That is the disparities in how it failed us were deeply inequitable this year. For those of us who've spent our life doing this work, that there are disparities in health outcomes was not new. But in 2020, one of the bright spots is that we discovered health inequities as a society. And so the question is, do we give a shit? Do we actually care? And if we do, we'll get really angry and we will start to tear the system down such that in 10 years, the system doesn't ask for an insurance card first. It doesn't ask you what your means to pay is first. It doesn't ask you to be the self-reporter of all of the prior visits that you've had in the system, but that we've interwoven the expectations that we would have in any other modern consumer service such that the system meets you where you are, it understands who you are, and it treats you with the respect and dignity that you deserve in the most of the in the most intimate of moments in your life. And so that experience is really clear. I'm pretty cynical. I think that the extent to which we allow the system to self-perpetuate its bullshit is really, really problematic and we have to tear it down. And also the optimism that I have comes from the fact that when we started to do this four years ago, there were a handful of companies, kind of legendary companies in our space that we were able to point to and say, there's a path that these handful of companies, Iora, Oak Street, Caremore, a few others had, had sort of started to forge. But it was just the beginning. I hear about a new company literally every day. I was laughing. One of my one of the weekly blogs that I read is from this guy, Kevin O'Leary in healthcare, who publishes a Sunday um, newsletter. And I literally don't know who half the companies are at this point that are advertising jobs in his little list. And that's actually really exciting to me. Because, you know, for the two of us, we'd, we'd actually never worked. We laugh about the fact that we'd actually never worked for a for-profit entity before this, for a tax-paying entity before this. It, right now, government hasn't figured out how to drive the sustainable solutions here. We need, it, we need government to play a different role, and I'm confident we'll see more of that over the next four years. 
But the innovation industry has to focus its attention on this. And we're seeing a lot of movement there that gives me great excitement. Toy, and I'm going to come back to one thing. I read this amazing story about you seeing a patient in a community health center in Boston who hadn't seen a doctor in 30 years, and you decided last minute to do two additional tests and found that she had two types of cancer, but was too scared to even share her symptoms with the doctor. And I think one of the things that many of us listeners and myself included, we almost take for granted just the fact that most people don't even get to see a doctor and trust a doctor. And that's a pretty profound way for you to bring that experience, you know, again, as a physician to to work now as a founder, how has just those things that you've lived through changed the way that you think about your mission? Yeah, it's at the it's at the root of it for me. The stories of the patients that I've cared for and I continue to care for, their journey, their experiences um, are at the forefront of certainly my set of motivations, but honestly at the forefront of how we build. I think that's one of the things as we think about technology and the role that technology plays at CityBlock, the ability to take the experiences of our end users and turn them into real research that we can then use to inform the way we build has been really critical because ultimately it's about changing the circumstances every step of the journey for that patient. I want every step of the journey for another doctor like me who has the chance to sit in front of a person who hasn't seen a doctor for 30 years to build their trust, to engage them, to build a relationship with them, to understand what's going on for them, and then to be able to follow through over time. That's what we're building for. We're building for like an alternate reality. And that requires that those stories and those journeys be our guide as we as we seek to put the tools together to change outcomes. What are your hacks for staying sane? Is it sleep? Is it running? Is it something else? But what have you guys learned about yourselves that you want to pay it forward to other founders that help you keep your train on the tracks? And Aya, you go first. I think if anything, probably it's me less about sort of hacks and tricks. And, you know, we've got two little kids and a business. Life is very full. One thing that Toyn and I both really intentionally internalized that I've carried with me about a year and a half into this is that this is the stuff of a chapter of our lives. And it's a really important chapter that we care a hell of a lot about. And also we will make mistakes every day. And so I laugh, like, and so actually to me, it, it comes down to, can you laugh at yourself? And can you laugh at your mistakes? And can you learn a lesson and move on to the next? And I think really adopting that mentality of not, am I going to make a mistake to make today, but how big a mistake am I going to make today? And what am I going to learn from it? is a really important part of staying sane and building. For me, I'm like, I will make a mistake. I just, I hope to not repeat them. That to me is success. But I am, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, I, I do have a lot of structure and routine in my day-to-day life. It's helped me a lot. It's one of the things that helped me get through just how stressful COVID was. Um, and so running and sleep, those are my things. And I will stand by that for, for the long haul. <laughs> I like it. We're about to wrap. We're going to run through a very quick fire round. I'm going to actually name who answers the question and just tell me the first thing that comes to your head. Um, so first up, we're going to go to Aya. What gets you out of bed every morning? Our 80-pound, seven-month-old puppy licking my face pretty typically. Amazing. Um, Toyin, what's your best interview question? If you're trying to decide if somebody should be at City Block, what is it? I ask a person to tell me the last time they got a piece of feedback that like really hit them in the core because it was so true to form and hard to hear what it was and what they did about it. Okay, quickly fast forward toy in two years. How many days a week do we go into an office for work? However many days we feel like. I answer that one too. Same answer. I like it guys. Okay, last thing you each get to answer. Other than CityBlock, one other startup that is in the healthcare system early that you love because you think it could be profound? 
So pay it forward to any other startup of any flavor that you've heard of. It can be any ounce of innovation that's happening in healthcare that you guys both are really optimistic about. Startup just recently announced uh, a round of funding um, that I've been really fortunate to be involved with um, called Origin. They do pelvic floor PT. And uh, and I love this startup because they're tackling this massive, massive problem industry that no one talks about because it's about women around um, around pelvic floor disorders and um, and physical health needs for, for women, particularly postpartum women. Um, and I'm just delighted more ge- in general to see more and more companies focusing in on women's health. I hate the term femtech more broadly, just thinking about, you know, women as consumers and the health needs of women as a really, really important segment that we should be building for. And so I'm excited about them. Aya, off to you. I'm going to answer it in a slight adjacency, but also personally, we've been fortunate to get involved recently with a couple of women who are building a company called Bright Up, which is a financial wellness platform focused specifically on marginalized communities who are just crushed by predatory lending practices and are a couple of really badass black ladies building a really incredible tool um, that are going to take some names. I love it. Um, First of all, guys, I just want to quickly, sincerely say, not only thank you so much for joining me today, but thank you so much for building what you're building. Everybody out there, if you haven't already learned more about CityBlock, head to cityblock.com and you can join us here uh, next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel and Aya and Toyin. On a really sincere note, you are some of the most mission-driven founders and you can feel it when you talk to you guys. And it's just been such an honor to have you here today and I'm rooting for you completely. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.